Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. <clears throat> As we turn there, I'd just like to say once again how much we appreciate being here. Appreciate all the fellowship and the food and the things that uh, take place. We're just having a real good time. It's been real good for us anyway. We enjoy the be able to visit with our kids a little bit and our grandkids, uh, spoil them a little bit while we're here. And just, uh, I mean, there's just a low stress deal versus other places you go where you have a lot of stress that goes with it. So we appreciate all that you do for us and, and uh, we don't want to take that for granted. So thank you again for all that you do and all the cooking that people have been doing. We appreciate that. Last night we talked about Shamgar and we, we kind of focused on the fact that Shamgar was prepared to do whatever it took to protect what was rightfully his. This kind of goes hand in hand with that and that is that I think we probably live in one of the most distracted times that there's ever been because of the technology and the things that are around us every day. Scatterbrained, right? Stressed. Kids, we talk about kids are not getting educated. Why? Because they're not focused. You know, you think about all the distractions in life today and they're just everywhere. We didn't have near the connectivity when I was a kid when Brother Gene was a kid or Brother Girth, you know, and, and the more distractions we have, the more that takes away from what God would have us to do because we just lack that focus. Now, a lot of the things we focus on, we do because they're so ingrained. We come to church on Sunday because, well, that's what we do. And we come to church on Wednesday because that's what we do. But what do we do in between all that? A lot of times is uh, scattered. You know, what's the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning? I, I, honestly, I woke up this morning, I thought, why do they want coffee this early? Coffee at 10 o'clock. But I got up anyway. And, uh, you know, your thoughts go, well, then we got to do this, and we got to do that, and we got to be over here by then. And <clears throat> what's, what, what does all that mean? Well, when you get here to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, or chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and down toward the end of verse 22, you find a word that's only used one place in your Bible. Paul says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. And as I studied the word maranatha, it, it's not very difficult to do. But <clears throat> the sense of the word itself is interesting because it, it carries the idea, this maranatha carries... The idea of the Lord returning quickly. Come Lord quickly. Return quickly. It's a, it's a focus that I don't think we have in Christianity that maybe they once had in the early Christian church back when Paul was preaching in the church at Jerusalem. And that idea has kind of been lost. And I just want to focus on that for a little bit this evening. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are certainly thankful for the grace and mercy you've shown to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And Lord, our, our hearts go out to the lost today. Lord, that they have no idea what awaits for them in their lost condition by God that's holy, whose wrath is going to be fulfilled, Lord. And I pray those people would be saved before it's too late. Lord, we, we just uh, live in such a hustle-bustle day, come and go to and fro. And I pray tonight you'd help us settle down for just a minute. And look at what Paul was trying to say here and what is going on in the early church that needs to go on in the church today that maybe we've missed just a little bit. 
And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to see that. You'd open our hearts to that. Lord, just to keep the distractions away from us as we cover this topic tonight. I pray, Lord, for those once again that are grieving. Lord, those that are hurting and they're sick. And I just ask you to have your hand upon them. We love you, Father. We thank you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> when you look at this word, if you Google this word, Maranatha, you'll find over 11 million hits. And there's Maranatha Baptist Church. There's Maranatha Church. There's Maranatha, Maranatha. It just goes on and on, the different things they use this word for out there and the associated ministries. But, I mean, it's clearly a popular word. If you look up bumper stickers, you'll find bumper stickers with Maranatha on them. You can slap on your car like so many other bumper stickers. And just kind of an informal survey of believers reveals that most people are really uncertain about where the word came from or what the word means. And oddly enough, the word Maranatha is just used this once, once here in Corinthians by Paul and as he closes out the first letter to the church at Corinth. And, and he, it makes a surprisingly strong statement. If any man love not the Lord, let him be anathema, accursed. And then he follows that with Maranatha, meaning our Lord come or Lord come quickly. <clears throat> and I found that kind of odd, but... You know, Maranatha, like Hosanna, Hallelujah, and Amen, they're transli transliterated Hebrew words. A transliteration tells you the meaning of words in another language. A transliteration doesn't tell you the meaning, but it helps you pronounce the word. So there's some word difficulties there. Maranatha is translated from the Aramaic. It's an Aramaic word that has two, two different meanings. Our Lord has come, and our Lord, comma, come. Right now. We want God right now is what that says is, Lord, come back right now in the immediate. But how many of us really live our lives that way? We talk like that. Listen, I'm guilty of this. We talk like, oh, we can't wait for the return of the Lord. But are we really looking and prepared for the return of the Lord? Is that something that is part of our life, part of our makeup Thomas Constable said this, It is strange to meet with an Aramaic phrase in a Greek letter to a Greek church. The explanation is that this phrase had become a watchword and a password. It summed up the vital hope of the early church, and Christians whispered it to each other, identified each other by it in a language which the heathen could not understand. Maranatha. So it would be like me saying some German word, that only you people understood, but nobody else in Fairbanks did. When we walked by, we had this code word that said, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha. Other people go, kooky Christians. They didn't understand what was being said. Because it was transliterated out of Aramaic, they were Greek. So you understand how you're in a community, there's certain slang words that you learn with time that you only know because you live in that community. If you live somewhere else, you wouldn't know what that meant, right? You go down south and you get a recipe and it's a daub of this and a dab of that. You go, I don't know what these people are talking about. I've got measuring cups. You know, it's almost like coded language. But that's kind of what it was. And so Maranatha became this kind of mindset that the Apostle John clearly had this kind of mindset. When you look in Revelation chapter 22, look back here in Revelation 22, where John, toward the bottom here in verse 20, he, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, 
Amen. John says, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Right now, come back. We want you today, not tomorrow. The idea was that he was waiting for his Lord right then and there quickly. We pray thy kingdom come, but do we mean it? Are we really prepared for it? Is that something we're looking for? Now look, if you couple this idea with Shamgar, he could only protect a field that he was actively watching over and waiting for the enemy to come. This idea is that we're actively thinking that Jesus Christ will return right now or tomorrow or in the immediate. But a lot of times we talk about, well, he can come back sometime because things are getting worse. We don't really have, we don't really live in the expectant though, do we? <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know how to get that across in my own life. I just went through that nuclear stress test. You know why? Because they're checking my ticker. And uh, you know, today I got the results. I got a phone call and they said, here's the good news. <laughs> it looks like it's pumping okay. The bad news is the electrical, you're having some more problems with your electricity. You got things wanting to do different things. And so when you, when you look at your mortality in a real way, cancer comes, heart problems come, you start going, there's things need done in the immediate, don't they? When you're younger and in your youth, you tend to put those things off and push those things back. And we don't tend to have that kind of mindset as Christians. Well, I'll get to that later. I'll get to that later. But when does that day actually come? When do we actually get to that thing? When we're talking on the deathbed of our dying friends, is that when we wait? Or do we do that today because Jesus might come tomorrow? It ought to be what drives us to do what God commands us to do. Not put it off, not be, not be spiritually uh, sluggards, but to get out there and be active with the mindset the early church had to spread the gospel, to grab hold of these people Why the day is today. When the disciples asked Christ to teach them to pray, He taught them this very thing. When you look in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, <clears throat> And when thou prayest, as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking." Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. When? Now. Listen, what he's teaching them is to have the now mindset. Not the down the road, kick the can down the road mindset, but the today mindset that it might be your last day, it might be their last day, it might be the world's last day. We don't know, but that ought to be the mindset. <clears throat> we don't get things done because we don't have a, a fire lit underneath us a lot of times, do we? 
Isn't it? I mean, listen, I'm just being honest. The things that excite us are the things that get done in our life. If you want to know where your priority is, look and see where the most time you spend in your week is. You'll find your priority. Right? It is. It, it's just how it is. I'm just laying it out there. If you're sewing for 50 hours a week, that's probably your priority. Or cooking, or in the gym, or fishing, or, but you know, fishing's more co constructive because you're filling the freezer. It's not like that other stuff. But if that's what you're doing, you find where your priorities are. Listen, God knows what we're doing, and God knows how much time we're invested in these things, doesn't he? You're not going to kid God, God by how much time you pray about these things. You can kid me, and I can kid you, but you're not kidding God. God knows where our heart lies in these matters. He knows how we prioritize things and where we have put things. And Paul is just saying that we need to have this kind of a mindset as we live before God. When you look in Romans chapter 13, <clears throat> and pray for Anita and I, we're, we're starting to feel the effects of the travel and the dry air. My asthma's been giving me fits, and now she's starting to have some fits, and we just want to get through this without any... Uh, <clears throat> downtime so pray that uh, the lord to keep us healthy here romans 13 and verse 11 and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put the Lord Jesus Christ on when? Today. Right now, let's, let's act like He's coming tomorrow, that He might be coming in the next hour. Because He may be. We should, have, we, we should be clear about that. That now is high time to wake out of sleep. When you go back to 1 Corinthians 16, a little earlier, in, <clears throat> a little earlier there in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 16, and you look in verse 13, Paul tells him, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. But he says, Watch ye. That's the first thing he says is get your eyes up and look and see what's happening. Be aware of what's going on here. <clears throat> Puritan William Gurnall, he says this, Christ has told us he will come, but not when, that we might never put off our clothes or put out the candle. Hudson Taylor said, since he may come any day, it is well to be ready every day. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Don't get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing. We ought to have this mindset. You know the mindset that Fanny Crosby had when she, she penned the, the words, Take the world, but give me Jesus. In His cross my trust shall be, till with clearer, brighter vision, face to face my Lord I see. We ought to have that mindset that He might be coming. And we'll see Him face to face sooner. I, listen, I long to see the Lord face to face. When I was in my youth, I had plenty to do. But the older I get, the more I want to see my Savior. And God says, until, <laughs> until that time comes, you've got things to do here. Get busy doing them. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. 
Well, that's the right kind of mindset. You know, when you look at your Bible and you just flesh this out, you'll note that there's 260 chapters in the New Testament. There are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That means that one out of every 30 verses refers to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's imminent, folks. It is imminent. The Lord, I believe it's not going to be much longer personally because of the way the world's going. But it's also notable that for every prophecy describing the coming of Christ the first time, there are eight prophecies that look forward to the second time. That's a lot. Surely the Holy Spirit desires to stir up the Lord's body, His church, with a mindset which causes us to long for the return of our Savior. But I don't think that's how it is all the time. I think we kind of get lulled to sleep, doing the same old thing, involved in the programs, involved in the, you know, and it just becomes this mundane thing we do. You know, years ago, Brother Gene and I were in Texas, Brother Dan Chase, we went to several different meetings kind of back to back. And the one thing I noticed is down there in Texas, a lot of churches have the Lord's Supper every Sunday night. And you know what it's like? I'm just telling you, I'm not judging, I'm telling you what it felt like. It felt like, let's hurry up and get this over. We can't leave till we do this. It just becomes a thing we do because we do. And there's no expectancy there. There's no real depth to that or meaning to what, that, what Jesus Christ did for us. <clears throat> and there ought to be a longing to see our Lord once again. You know, Solomon, the Song of Solomon 8.14, Solomon's bride cried out, Make haste, my beloved! That ought to be the magnitude of the depth of our love for Jesus Christ that He would come back. Listen, there's a, there's a coupling with that too. There's a downside. And that is those people we haven't dealt with yet, we won't be able to. If He does come tomorrow, those people that we have put on a list that we have not dealt with, they won't get dealt with by us anyway. It'll be too late. We have to prioritize. It, listen, when you've got that kind of mindset, you have to have that kind of priority in your life. James encourages us to live with that kind of mindset. Look in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And verse 8. It says, Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's coming. <clears throat> Augustine wrote, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms it, is afar off, nor is it he who says it is near. It is he who, whether it be far or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast hope, and fervent love. <clears throat> the only way you can be ready for the last moment is to be ready every moment. You can't wait till later. It's got to be right now. You know, there's another illustration uh, that... Maybe some of you know who Florence Chadwick is, but she swam the English Channel back in 1950 and in record time and the next year crossed the other direction. In 1952, she attempted to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to California, but after 15 hours of thick fog, it set, it set her into causing doubt because she couldn't see the other side. You know, there's something to be said for walking sight 
And so her mother was in the boat, and she told her mother she didn't believe that she could, she could make it. And she stopped swimming and climbed in the boat, and she learned that she was less than half a mile away after swimming that far. At the news conference, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Two months later, she tried again. The fog set in. She continued to swim. But this time, she met her goal and made it all the way to the other side. And listen, we all experience the dense fog moments, don't we? Yeah. We just get to a point and we go, and so we quit. Or we get discouraged. Or we just throw our hands up for whatever reason. And it, and it becomes difficult to fix our eye on the goal, which is Jesus Christ. Listen, the more we focus on Jesus Christ, the more He will use the Spirit of God to drive our hearts to do the things that need done now in the here and now, and not later. Because there's too many of those later moments that have come and gone you can't get back. Right? The, blood, the, the, blood, <clears throat> the blood's going to be on our hands for those people we didn't reach that die and go to hell in their sins because we had them on the list we never got to. We're not focused properly. We're not focused on the immediacy of what's happening around us. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He has saved us for all of eternity. He deserves our focus, doesn't he? Yet, listen, we're guilty. I'm guilty of not having my focus on the Savior the way it needs to be all the time because I get wrapped up in life with distractions. And time chisels away at my, my day and my life and my month and my year. And then you go, oh, we're, we're dipping again. We're hunting again. The years are flying by, folks. And let me tell you, the older you are, they just clip along at some unearthly... It just seems like it's yesterday we had grandkids and now we have married grandkids and they're having kids. Right? I remember when Brother Gene turned 50 and I was making fun of him how old he was. And then I turned 50 one day and I went, well, that's not so old. I wasn't so, right? And now I'll be 60 here pretty quick, and I'm thinking, that ain't so bad. And you're like, dude, you're getting old, right? It's all relative to where you are on this timeline, folks. And you've got to get your focus. You've got to get your vision corrected because you'll waste a lot of years doing a lot of nothing that could have been used serving the Lord because your focus and your mindset is not thinking that Jesus may come tomorrow and you've got more time when you might not have more time. Secondly here, as we see this world grow darker around us, the promised return of the Lord Jesus Christ grows brighter, doesn't it? I just think in my own, in my own mind that we should minister the way Paul did with this attitude that the Lord's going to come quickly. And we should be busy about the Lord's business Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and you'll see Paul still ministering with this kind of mindset. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, <clears throat> verse 16, I'm sorry. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Why? Because we're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, 
while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul had an eternal focus every day of his life. That's what we've got to get to. We've got to get our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Colossians 3 and 1. The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Listen, the biggest problem we have is we focus on the temporary things right now that please us today, and we're guilty. I'm guilty. Too often I look back and say, what a waste of time that was. It was a humongous waste of time. And we chase our tails for temporary stuff that you're not taking with you. And really, you know, the, the end of the day, all these years in Alaska, I finally got an almost legal moose, right? Because it got to be 50 inches and mine was 49 and 7 eighths. So I turned myself in and the trooper let me keep it. So I have this almost legal rack in my garage that the guys all fixed up and painted up and mounted up and they put it up there on the wall and people come in and go, oh, that's just awesome, you know. And you go, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did that. That was me, I shot at my neighbor's garden. <laughs> Teach him to eat cabbage again. <laughs> and then you die. And your kids come in and go, somebody want that for 10 bucks, right? They just want your junk gone. They want your house sold. They want everything cleared out. And all that stuff that you focused on and you put your money into and your time and your heart into, they all but give away to get rid of that stuff. And you realize, you're not here to realize, but everybody realizes that was a waste of time. It really was. I'm not saying God doesn't want us to enjoy life. But I'm telling you, we can focus more on those kind of things and not focus on what really matters. You know, when I go fishing, I try to take lost guys with me. Uh, just how it works. A lot, of, a lot of kids that I meet, you know, uh, I, uh, I invite them to go with us. We get on the boat, we talk about the Lord, we talk about creation, we talk about, you know, we can do both. We don't have to just go, well, I can never do this again. We go hunting, we can take other people with us, but we, we, we get to where we're exclusive in everything we do, and we don't really include anybody that we should be trying to reach for the Lord in these activities, right? Because our focus gets off, we start focusing on this, you know, I want the big bull, I want the big fish, I want the big quilt, whatever it is. I don't know what ladies dream about, but you don't know what the guys dream about. <laughs> you know, the nice quilt, I don't know, I really don't. <clears throat> Probably great husbands, that's probably what they dream about. <laughs> but he's busy doing everything else. <laughs> but our focus gets all messed up, doesn't it? Back in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And you, you look here at the words of the preacher. 
chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh unto the sun? And he goes down through verse after verse after verse. He describes all of the things that he has done, all of his experiences. And at the end of the book, when you get down to chapter 12, just turn over for sake of time, to verse 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The whole gist of that book is that vanity, vanity, all is vanities. If you're not serving the Lord each and every day, it's vanity. If we're not focused on the things of God, it's just vanity. Yes, we have to feed our families, but don't kid yourself. We have a lot of fun doing it. And we waste a lot of time and money doing it. I, the first year I got here, I, made, I got promoted in route from Louisiana to here. So I made staff sergeant. My pay doubled because the overseas pay and da 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 Man, I went, I got me a brand new Kodiak, Yamaha Kodiak 400. The biggest rig in the state because I deserved it. <laughs> I just made staff sergeant. You know, 400s now is what you give to your grandkids. It's like, look at that poor guy. He's got a 400. And had a plow on it. And you know, it's long since dead and gone somewhere. I don't even know what happened to it. But I remember all the money and time spent on that thing, and it was a real waste. really was. <clears throat> that money could have been spent doing a lot of other things besides what it did. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history... You'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. They had the right mindset. It, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world eternity that we have become so ineffective because of, and admit it, the distractions we have in our life. My phone stinking dings night and day. All night, ding, ding, ding. I'll wake up, my wife said, who was it? I don't know, I didn't hear it. Well, why do you leave it on? Well, because I tell people I'll leave it on. I'm in a ministry, so I leave it on. I just learned not to listen to it while I'm sleeping. But she, she knows what's going on. But we're distracted all the time, aren't we? How many times in church does the stinking phone go off? People can't even, listen, people can't even shut the phone off for an hour to listen to a sermon preached. That's how addicted they are to the iPhone. Would to God they would be that addicted to him. <laughs> oh, I, missed, oh, I missed the text. Oh, you think it's funny. I see it. I travel around. I listen to it. There's nothing more annoying than preaching and hearing the go off. Especially when it's the pastor. The one pastor at the conference, everybody shut their phones off. He's really picky about this stuff. And I'm preaching, I look over, and he's, his is buzzing. He's trying to kill his phone in his pew. <laughs> then he had some, they had some statewide fire alert went off, and every phone in the church went off. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. <clears throat> I don't take my phone to church on Sundays. 
I'm not ripping you. I'm just telling you what I do. I want to be focused on what's going on on Sunday in the church. I don't need that stinking iPhone in the church with me on Sunday. I don't need it to find my verses because I can find my verses faster than you can with that thing. Right? I like paper. I never have to plug this in. Ever. That's just how weird I am. I mean, it's all got its place, doesn't it? But we can't lose our focus. We can't be distracted by all this nonsense. I, you know, Brother Nolan Ruby a couple years ago, and I, don't, I just don't remember the gist of it, but he preached a message about noise. Was anybody else there when he did that? Were, were you there? Do you remember the gist of that? It's like all these things in life that create all this noise, and you can't hear the Lord speak because there's too much noise. You can't focus when your mind is... You ask your mom who's got six or eight kids how well she focuses. You know, they don't. They're brain dead until the kids leave home. And by then, neither one of you can hear anything, so it doesn't matter anyway. Huh? What? Huh? Focus is something that's harder to do than you think it is. It is. Just go sit in an office and try to focus when your phone won't quit. And people... Knock, I saw your car. Oh, praise the Lord. You know I'm here, right? Because I'm going to be over there tomorrow and Sunday. And that, that's why I'm here in a hole in the back of the woods so I can focus on what I'm doing. Maybe you should go focus on what you should be doing for a minute. Anyway. What I, but that's the world we live in. And we're not focused on God the way we need to. Yes, enjoy life. But we need to anticipate heaven by living for God every day. Our focus should be on Him, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. If we're looking for Jesus Christ, we ought to have a, an uplook outlook. We ought to be looking for Him. Is He on the horizon? What a powerful day that will be when He is. Ask yourself this, am I living with the right mindset? Do my day-to-day -day choices reflect the reality of my expectant attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ coming tomorrow? Do I really live that way? <clears throat> or am I just living very apathetically, day by day, getting through the day, reading 10 minutes, praying 5 minutes, going to church on Wednesday, right? Right? I'm telling you, it's just how it works. I don't know the date of the Lord's return, but that ought to keep us on our toes. You know, Spurgeon sums it up this way. He says, oh, that the Lord would come. He is coming. He is on the road and traveling quickly. The sound of His approach should be as music to our hearts. He is coming. He said He was coming. I believe He's coming. I hope it's sooner than later. May the cry of our hearts continually be that He is coming. So what's ahead? Carl Henry, he gave this thought-provoking lecture some years back with three major points. The first point was this, that the barbarians are here. Hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Hasn't gotten any better when it comes to barbarians and heathens, has it? Or pagans or anything else that goes with that. Evil forces are all around us. They're here. 
They're tearing down the gates. They're tearing at the doors. They're after our children. They're after our churches. Evil abounds. Evil has a focus. The devil has a pinpoint focus on what he wants to do. He knows what he's after, and it's you and your children and your family and your church. Our way of life. The barbarian are here. Many thoughtful people believe that we're witnessing the moral collapse of Western civilization. Can you disagree with them? Could you make an argument they're wrong? No, we've got people that don't know what they are, who they are, where they are, where they're going, or if there's a God. I mean, this goes on and on, doesn't it? The second point he made was that Jesus is coming back. We're in this, but the Lord is going to return. Christians have lived for 20 centuries, 20, you know, 20 some centuries with the hope that they'll witness the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at how many people thought the way we think and it didn't happen. But they stayed focused. That's the point. We don't know if Jesus Christ is coming tomorrow, but there's a saying that says the darker the night, the brighter the hope. It's getting dark. It's getting really dark out there, folks. The barbarians may win some battles, but they're not going to win the war. I've read the book of Revelation. God wins this deal. Jesus Christ is the victor. And because I'm a child of God and an heir and joint heir of Jesus Christ, I am a victor in the future tense. I've already won. <laughs> but I've got to survive this moment. And I've got to stay focused on what God wants me to do. And the darker it gets, the brighter we need to be as God's people in the hearts of these the, the folks that God has put in our lives around us. Because they're all different. Every one of us has a different sphere of people that God gives us to network with. I'm not going to meet all those people you meet. and You're not going to meet all the people I meet. We just have to stay focused on the ones that God's given us to preach the gospel and preach the gospel and preach the gospel. That's what they need. They don't need more classes on this and morality and that. They need the gospel. They need to be saved. His third point coming from a more universal view is that the church doesn't know whether it's coming or going. Well, hard to argue with him on that point. When we see, we see men who we believe believe the same things we do are doing some of the crazy things they're doing, we got to wonder if we're not at the end of the line, don't we? Churches are falling off by the wayside. Preachers are falling by the wayside. The people of God are falling by the wayside. <clears throat> many of those that claim to know God deny Him by their words and their actions. They'll go out in the, go out in the city and say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer of Jesus Christ. Where are they? If there's so many of them out there, why do we have some empty seats tonight? Where are they at on Sunday? Well, it's the right thing to say, isn't it? It was when I was a kid. You can't believe the size of Bible we had in my house. Family Bible. Big old white family Bible. It was huge. We had this walnut table my dad bought after he got back from Vietnam. And it sat there and it was always open to something, you know. And we never touched that thing. Touch that was a death sentence. My mom would run you down, she'd beat you to death. But we were all, you know, we are all Christian. In a Christian home, you have a Bible. Right? It wasn't until later on I learned I really wasn't uh, much of a Christian, huh? <laughs> I never repented of my sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I've been spoon-fed the fact that I was raised in a Christian nation, and I was Christian by 
But we know that doesn't really work well, do we? But how does most of our nation consider, what do they consider themselves? Go out and take a poll. Do it yourself. Go on the street and just get a pad and a paper and say, excuse me, sir, do you consider yourself to be a Christian? See, see what the answers are with all those people that come by. You know what you'll get a majority of? Well, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. Oh, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not going to hell like those guys are. I'm better than those guys. <laughs> but where are they? Why do they get so upset when you try to preach biblical principle to them? When you bring them in and set them down and say, hear what is thus saith the Lord, and they get so upset, why is that? They have no focus on God. There's no focus on Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that infiltrate our churches. They're those people. They are unsaved. They are lost. They are lost and dying and going to hell with all the knowledge they have to be saved right before them. That's the saddest thing there is in the world today is the lost people that attend church more faithful than some of the saved people. That's the truth of it. <clears throat> A great number of Christians believe that the hands on the clock of history are nearing the midnight hour, but I don't, they don't know just how close. I don't know how close. It changed the way you live today if I said, you know, I gotta, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> I did not get a text from Jesus today, okay? Just to be clear, like other preachers. <laughs> but suppose I had the inside knowledge that Jesus Christ was coming at midnight. Would you people do anything different for the rest of the night? Now just chew on that for a second. What would you do? What would you do? Would you start burning your cell phone to the ground? Trying to reach people that need reached? Would you do that? I think we probably would, wouldn't we? Because that's kind of how we're built, aren't we? Down to the crunch time, we got to get this done. The Lord's coming in four hours. What's he going to say if we don't get this done in four hours? But that's how we ought to be living. God expects us to live that way. That he's coming tomorrow. The midnight hour approaches. Which one? I don't know. But our, our vision should be on Him. Let's get our eyes off the barbarians around us and start looking at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and live for Him like there will be no tomorrow. It's easy for the things of life to get us down and get us distracted. I hardly watch news anymore. I'm just telling you, I was a news junkie for years and years and years, and I finally said, I just can't do this anymore. I get so irate and so mad, my day gets so filled with... Uh, and then I realized, you know what? I've got to serve God right here where I am and do what God wants me to do today, regardless of what they're doing in Ukraine tonight. Does it concern me? Is it heartbreaking? It is. I'm not that calloused. But I can't spend my day glued to the TV watching the Russians and the Ukrainians volleying back and forth and not doing what I have to do right where I am. And you shouldn't either. You should be doing what God wants you to do right where you're at every day. And don't let what's going on with the barbarians distract you. Because really, honestly, you're not going to change it anyway. You can vote. I do that. I encourage you to do that. But that's about the end of your power, isn't it? I used, listen, there for a couple of years, I wrote more letters to the White House you shake a stick at 
Where President Obama was off, so I was firing a letter off every day. I was so stinking ticked off. You know what ticked me off? It's just I'm a combat veteran, disabled. And I went to go down to the veteran campground in Seward, and they said, sorry, you can't come in. I said, well, who can come in? Well, the active duty then come in. I said, hey, I'm good with that. Who else? DOD civilians can come in. And I said, what? some DOD flunky can come down here, but a combat veteran can't? No, <clears throat> retirees can't. I said, well, I'm good with that. DOD's children can come down here, but you can't. And I said, I'm not okay with that. And I start firing letters off. Man, I get them off every morning, fire another letter off. What a, what a sorry dirtbag, you know, what, what kind of rule is this? And listen, not because of me, because a lot of other guys, President Trump changed that nonsense. He said, if civilians can use it, then our combat veterans ought to be able to use it. And so now I can use that. The point is, I wasted tons of time doing all that. And you know how many times I've been to that campground? Not once. It was the point that mattered. But all that time and energy is wasted. And you know what you do? Sometimes you get a timeout. This doesn't make a hill of beans in eternity. It's a bunch of wasted time. It makes you feel better in your flesh. It does, doesn't it? Scream and holler and But what really good does it do for the cause of eternity? It's the wrong focus. <clears throat> looking, for, looking for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to bring joy. That ought to bring hope to us. That ought to give us what we need to get through every day, knowing we're going to be with our Lord one day. This is all just going to fade away as a leaf, isn't it? It also causes us to number our days that we might be wiser. I uh, read a story about a tourist that visited this really, <clears throat> it was a really exquisite garden in this, on this castle estate in Italy. And uh, this guy shows up and says, how long have you been here taking care of this place? And he said, 25 years. He said, how often does the owner come back to the estate? And he said, oh, I said, I've seen him four times in 25 years. And he says, when did he come last? He said, 12 years ago. He says, so it's just you? And he said, just me. I pretty much look over all this, and I keep all this looking the way it does. He said, you keep this place so spick and span, you'd think you're expecting the owner tomorrow. And he said, today, sir, today. That's how we ought to live our life. We ought to expect the owner any day. God's given us some things to take care of, hasn't he? God's given us some duties to take care of. And from the human perspective, there's no solution for the problems of the world around us except Jesus Christ. We pray for our leaders, don't we? We pray for saved leaders. We pray for all the countries around us. But, you know, leaders seem to be completely frustrated in trying to deal with everything around them anyway. You've got the Ukraine-Russian thing going on. You've always got the Chinese trying to do something. You've got Taiwan and Chinese something. You've got North Korea and South Korea something. Now you can sit around all day long and get frustrated by all that and you're not gonna change the look of it. You'll do more to change that on your knees in prayer than you'll do screaming and hollering behind your computer writing letters to the president. That's fact. The only complete and permanent solution is found in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So why don't we focus on that? Why don't we focus on what matters? When he comes, he'll set up his kingdom and he'll rule the nations in righteousness. 
Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we await our Savior's return, let's keep praying. Let's keep working. Let's keep watching. Let's keep winning, looking for that blessed hope. One more soul. One more soul. One at a time, folks. One at a time. Yeah, we'd love to see 3,000, but right now, take them one at a time. The one you can find, that young lady, that young man, that young kid, the old fella, the old lady, one at a time. But you got to do something. But you got to start one at a time. Let me ask you this, just kind of wrapping things up. Are you living your life like Jesus might be here in the morning? That's a fair question, isn't it? Are you eager for the Lord's return? So eager you hope it'll take place before morning? Are you praying it won't take place before morning? Because there are some things in your life that need to be ferreted out. And maybe some things that need to be forsaken and repented of before the Lord does come back. You see, I'm enjoying life right now. I love what I'm doing. That's <laughs> not a job. I love what I'm doing. I love being in love with my wife. I don't have kids around to... I can eat the guts out of the bread if I want to. I can scoop the middle of the pie and there's nobody there to tell me no. Drink out a milk jug. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Should be throwing all the milk jugs out. You know, I like living life. I like seeing my grandkids grow up and now I got a great grandchild coming. There's lots of places I'd love to visit in my life. I've got lists of places I'd love to go visit on this planet. Never been to Italy. Well, I went one time briefly, but not enough to have, you know, what I wanted to do. I'd like to go to Europe, Germany. I'd like to go over and check out some old Wurzbacher. Check the size of that sausage, man. I'd love to go eat cheese. But you know what? That, that pales in comparison to people dying and going to hell. Listen, maybe God would call you there to do something and you get, listen, that's how God works, isn't it? But right now, we got to get our nose to the grindstone and just keep on keeping on. Seeing people saved, leading them to the Lord before it's eternally too late. Because one day I'll no longer be able to do that anymore. And maybe those people I'm supposed to reach won't be here anymore. They're gone. Listen, the people around me are starting to die off now. That's how it works, isn't it? Biblical prophecy gives us some great encouragement. And there's hope available today. The Old Testament is saturated with prophecies concerning Christ's first advent. Both Testaments are filled with references to the second coming of Christ. One scholar estimated there's 1,845 references to Christ's second coming in the Old Testament, where 17 books give promise to it. It's happening, folks. It's coming. The Lord is going to return. Do you realize tonight it's later in time in the history of the world than it's ever been before? Right now. Clock's ticking. Later in history, every second, every minute, and you don't get it back. We can't turn it back. We either do or we don't. <clears throat> we either get busy or it's too late. With each passing hour, 
the words of James 5.8, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. That's both fact, it's comforting, and it's sobering. What are we going to do about that? Am I living in a way that will bring his commendation? That's for me to answer, isn't it? You can't deal with that for me. I have to deal with that for me, but you have to deal with that with you. Are you living the way you should be living to draw others to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what your life's doing? Is your focus in life such that other people notice that focus and they are drawn like bugs to a light? It should be. That ought to be our walk. It shouldn't just be our talk. It ought to be our living testimony before the Lord. I'll just finish with this. There was a couple men, they walked out of the factory and they walked up to the car of the one man and he looked at the bumper sticker and it said Maranatha and he said, what does that mean? And the owner of the car, the Christian said, it means the Lord is coming. And the other man said, well, I don't believe that. He said, well, the bad news is he's not coming for you. There's a lot of people who are going to be lost and undone when the Lord returns. The rapture takes place tonight. There's a lot of unfinished business out there, isn't there? <clears throat> you guys remember the early edition, Brother Gene might. Do you remember the early edition back in the 70s? I don't know, it might have been a Midwest deal, but it was called the early edition. And the host would get next day's newspaper that night, and he would read the news from the next day. And people would be like, man, this guy knows everything. That's a, they tune into the early edition because he was really cheating, wasn't he? Everybody else had to wait for the newspaper at 5 or 6 in the morning. This guy already got it and read it, and they just thought he was a wizard. We've got the early edition. God gave us the early edition. All we have to do is pick it up and read it and show other people, I've got the early edition, man. Here's how it plays out. Most people just don't know. It's amazing to me, people that come to our church and visit, and they've been in and out of churches all their life, and I'll preach something I think everybody on the planet knows, and they'll come to me and they'll be like, I never knew that. Well, you never knew David killed Goliath? I never knew that. I thought his name was Bill. You're like, people don't read the Bible anymore. Unfortunately, in Christian homes, the Bible's not getting read anymore. It ought to be precious to us because we have the early edition. And that ought to keep us focused more and more and more. Listen, we can function today in light of what we know about God's plan for the future. That gives us a clearer vision of what we should be doing. He's given us a roadmap to get out and do what He would have us to do, but we have to be focused. We've got to cut some of this noise out. We've got to cut some of the distractions out. There's got to be a limited amount of things in our life. You've got to pick your poison. God doesn't say you can't go fish or hunt or do those things. But listen, you've got to stay focused on the things of God in the midst of all of that. God has to be central in it. People have to see that in your lives. And listen, if you're not living your life for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're here tonight and you don't have a He might come again mindset, you need to rethink your mindset. There may be some things that you need to get rid of to be prepared for the Lord to return tomorrow or tonight. I don't know what that is in your life. I'm not here to judge that. I'm not here to tell you. You know you better than anybody else on the planet does, just like I know me better than anybody else does. But I know this. 
it's getting darker and darker by the minute. And lost people need us more and more than they ever have before. And we've got to be focused on that thing. And if we're not, those people will not be saved. They'll die and go to hell. And we'll be partially responsible for that, for not doing our part in, in sharing the gospel with the people around us. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so thankful once again for your plan of salvation, Lord, that in eternity past you knew the great need that we had, Lord, and, and you gave us a plan, Jesus Christ dying on the cross and shedding his blood that we might have eternal life if we just repent of our sins and trust in what he has done. And Father, we know that promise is still good today. We know there's people out there today that that's gonna, they're going to kill themselves before this day is over and it will be eternally too late for them. Lord, there's an urgency about today with the world we live in, the confusion around us. Truly, the barbarians are here. The heathen are here, Lord. The lost need us tonight. They cry out for someone to bring them hope, Lord, and we're, the, we're, we're your people. We're the people that should be bringing them hope, but if our focus is not in the right place and we're not doing the work and the calling of God, who's going to do it? Lord, help us to forsake those things that mean nothing in eternity. Lord, help us to map out our lives better, our days, each and every day to get rid of more and more distraction and focus on what you'd have us to do for you and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight living in sin and their lives aren't even lined up with the way they should be living. I pray they forsake that sin tonight and they'd repent. I pray, Lord, for someone here tonight that's lost and needs to be saved, that tonight would be the the night of salvation in their lives, Lord, they could see that they're without hope if they have not Jesus Christ in their life. Lord, I just pray that you bless this time of invitation. You break hearts. You'd use your word. Father, you'd move among your people with the Holy Spirit of God. We praise you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.